about adoption? Well, I had this experience. How can academic researchers convey insight and meaning into the world of adoption? Autoethnography, focus groups, and photo voice, a combination of images and narratives, are qualitative research tools that can provide meaningful context and insight into personal experiences. In this episode, we'll talk with Emerson College's Dr. Robin Danzak about how she combines these tools in order to explore the spectrum of adoption from the perspective of those whose lives it has touched. This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Dr. Robin Danzig, welcome to Campus on the Common. I understand you've been doing research regarding adoption. I'm wondering how you came to start researching adoption. Hi, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me. This is really exciting. In general, when we choose an area to research, it's because we have some kind of connection to it, right? Some kind of personal connection or life experience, or we feel passionate about something because as you probably know, research is not easy. Um, It can kind of be a drag. So it needs to be something that you're really excited about. And in my case, you know, this really started when I was at my previous uh, university, Sacred Heart in Connecticut. I had a couple of colleagues there, friends, uh, Christina Gunther in health sciences and Michelle Cole, who was in nursing at the time. The three of us had a lot of interest in common, particularly around um, global health and global learning experiences. And we did some work together with some programs in Guatemala. And we would come together to talk about, you know, oh, we should really write a paper on this, like, you know, global service learning. But every time we got together to talk about global health and global service learning, we ended up sidetracking and talking about our experiences with adoption. And it turned out that over time, we discovered that all three of us had experiences, but from three different perspectives. So Michelle had grown up as an adopted child. Christina and her husband had adopted uh, a daughter internationally from Guatemala, which is why all those global programs got started at Sacred Heart. And I had found out, you know, I grew up in a family not really thinking about adoption, but when I was in my late 20s, it was revealed that I had a sister who had been relinquished by my mother and uh, my father was also her father. So we grew up separately. She was adopted and I met her in my late 20s. Wow, that is fantastic. A reunion after so many years. Yeah, there you go. Like there's the there's the bombshell. So, you know, as we continue to talk about our experiences, you know, I'm I'm very into qualitative research. And because like you, I, I really love stories and I love hearing people's stories and learning about people's experiences through stories. And I've particularly worked in with kids and adults in, in writing and writing about their stories. So one thing I had always wanted to explore was this research, this qualitative research method called autoethnography. And it's basically when you, the researcher, are also the subject of your research. So you study yourself in some way or your own lived experience. So we, we decided, the three of us, that we wanted to do a collaborative autoethnography 
And each of us would kind of delve into our own experiences in relation to adoption and our stories, our experiences. And then we decided we would weave these stories together into a script and create a performance. So this research is not only, you know, very personal, but it's also qualitative. It's also arts-based and, you know, a little bit kind of out there. I mean, it's really not anything I expected to be doing I guess in my career, but I'm, I'm really excited that we did it. And that has happened. We're actually on to a new study now, but I'd love to tell you more about the first one and the second one. By all means, please indulge me. So um, the autoethnography was really interesting. Carolyn Ellis and Art Bochner have a lot of work on autoethnography if you're looking at literature and how to do it, right? How to make a compelling story, what kind of data to use, what are the ethics involved, for example, you know, if you're talking about other people in your life, if you're sharing really personal information. In my case, I was really interested in learning about my mother's experience and relinquishing a child in the late 60s. I learned that at that time, when my older sister was born, adoption was at a very high rate in the US and being a single mother was at a very low rate. So there was a lot of social pressure at that time to not keep your baby, right? To to not be a single mother. This was my mother's story. You know, She just felt like that was not something that was acceptable. She didn't think that she had that choice. So I did some interviews. They're called interactive interviews because, you know, you're in conversation and you're also kind of filling in your own, your own responses and reflections during the interview. So I did a couple interviews with my mom um, and I also did one with my father and put together their story. In the meantime, Michelle and Christina were doing some studying documents. We looked at old photos, calendars, emails. We were also looking at literature, for example, in Christina's case, some of the challenges she went through as as a mother in a transnational situation of adoption um, turned out to be common, Um, things that we read that other people had experienced, especially in terms of adopting a child of a different race and how that impacts the identity of the child and the family. And, you know, people talk about things like family resemblance. And so we had these common themes as we were, we were meeting about monthly and talking through our common themes and our processes. And, and we were all writing a lot about um, what we were learning from our experiences. So, yeah, so we put these three, three stories together, kind of based on the different themes. And then we each had a monologue in this performance where we, where we shared our individual adoption story and what we learned. And we were able to perform this at a qualitative research conference called the Qualitative Report. It was in January 2020. So before the whole COVID situation really took hold, we went to uh, the conference and we we did this performance live and it was really, really moving. It was it was more impactful for all of us than we expected it to be. But it was um, it was a great experience. And since we have also published this in the qualitative report journal. So the article is available where we talk about the methodology of autoethnography. We talk about 
some other literature that has looked at adoption from qualitative and autoethnographic perspectives. And then we present as results, we present our script, right? Um, our performance and then some outcomes. So some of the outcomes that we found through this process were, you know, themes like, like I mentioned, identity is, is huge and was huge for all of us. How families fit together in different ways and, and people see different connections and family resemblances, whether they're physical or not, behavioral resemblances, for example. You know, for example, Michelle growing up, people always said she looked so much like her mother. And she she knew she was adopted her whole life, you know, and she she felt like, well, how could I look like my mom? But later she realized it was more her behaviors and her mannerisms and having grown up with her mother and, and being like her. Another thing that was kind of the big one, which we didn't realize, we had been thinking about this concept of the other, how the three of us had this other experience, you know, Christina adopting a child from another country, a different culture, a child who looked very different than the rest of the family, Michelle growing up adopted, feeling like the other in her family, but also feeling very loved and, and special. And I you know, meeting this other sister after many years, not knowing that she existed, how did we all kind of reconcile that, that other experience? And of course, love was kind of the answer, which seemed silly and obvious, but it, it took us this whole process to realize that, you know, love and building relationships was the answer to that question, that question about reconciling the other so all of that is just the first piece, right? I still, <laughs> we're, we're now doing first. a second. Yeah, that's the background information, right? I love what you said regarding the other. In my own history, my own story is I come from a divorced family, a single mom, um, stepfather came into a picture and I have his last name. And in terms of the other, I always felt like I was an other. Years later, you know, after, you know, we're a blended family, and people would say, oh, you're just like your dad, Ted. And occasionally would get the remark, and, and I can see the resemblance. And of course, I'd laugh at that. The mannerisms, the, uh, the reactions, the interest. Whereas others would talk about sports, we would always talk about history. So to this day, I'm the biggest history buff out there. And it was all because of our, our interactions. And what's interesting is when I'm talking, when I'm lecturing, when I'm just doing my thing, being me, People say, yeah, your dad was just the same way. Now, we have no DNA, but that said, the environment in which I was brought up in, a very loving environment, I picked up all the, a lot of those characteristics. And you said the other really resonated with me because when you look at the, the reality of, of family, whether it's the United States or the world, sure, there's the nuclear family ideal, but how many people actually get to experience that? 
my hypothesis would be that, you know, most people don't have a standard family, that there is no such thing, that the reality is that we're blended, we're mixed, we're adopted, we're separated, we're, you know, there's, there's a spectrum out there. And I think it's really incredible the way that you and your colleagues went out about capturing the stories of one of the elements within that spectrum and bringing that to light. Tell me about how the audience reacted to this. I would assume that a lot of people would see themselves in the stories that you brought to that stage. For sure. And actually, it's funny that your your response was the same, right? That, oh, thinking about my own childhood. And as as we were working on this project, I feel like everyone I reached out to, to, you know, and I sat in people's offices here at Emerson saying, you know, I'm working on this, this theater, you know, I don't know, should we do this? As, and, and pretty much everyone I reached out to said, oh, and by the way, I'm adopted. Or, oh, by the way, I have an adopted son or daughter. And it was just amazing, you know, and the same happened to Michelle and Christina as we talked about this. And the more we told people about what we were doing, the connections that we made with people who also had similar experiences or in some way their lives had been touched by adoption, which led us to the second study. But before I get there, I also want to throw in, you know, kind of the nature nurture question and this idea of family resemblances and mannerisms and and things like that. And in my case, meeting my older sister for the first time, and I have a younger sister as well, who I grew up with. And the three of us are daughters of both of our parents, right? So when we met for the first time, it was quite astounding. I mean, we all look very much alike. And my my older sister, when I was talking to her and trying to get the timeline right, and like, was, when did we really meet for the first time? Was it here? Was it there? Like, I thought that I met you there. She's like, no, it was at the airport. You know, I came to see you guys with my husband and we flew into Tampa. I was living in Florida at the time. We flew into Tampa and I will never forget, this is my older sister's story. Uh, I'll never forget, we walked out of the, you know, the tram into the general public and there were all these people. My husband goes, look, Kim, there they are. Those are your sisters. They look just like you. <laughs> and he picked, he picked us out of the crowd. And as we got to know each other, we did find more similarities as well. Even though we grew up in different families, there were a lot of things that we had in common. You know, I think about twin studies, too. There's so much research on this, right? Twins separated at birth, all of that kind of old nature, nurture research. It's interesting. What are the struggles of adopting children and their parents that the general public just doesn't realize? Well, it's very individual differences, I think. I think um, I think everybody's different. Every family is different. And, you know, what we're seeing now, so now we're, we're, we're on to our second project, Michelle and Christina and I, and this time we decided to use another great qualitative methodology called PhotoVoice. And in this case, um, PhotoVoice basically invites participants to <laughs> submit photos or images that represent some part of their experience and um, also maybe provide a caption or a story about the photo and then get together and talk about them. We basically did an online survey where we asked anyone who has been touched by adoption from any perspective, um, some basic information, you know, age, 
demographics location? What, what is your kind of role in adoption? Like, are you a child, a parent, a sibling, something else? And then please submit a photo that represents what adoption means to you. And then please write a short narrative about this photo. So we got about 50 responses. We had also asked people to, if they were interested in, in joining a focus group to talk about their photo and their experience, that's where we got some really good information. So we ended up running four focus groups, like four or five people each. And everyone, you know, this was all on Zoom. This is very recent. We've been working on this, this current academic year. You know, people would go around and share their photo and talk about their stories. And this has been a very, very interesting experience. We're, we're currently analyzing the data right now, um, but we have definitely seen kind of a whole spectrum of responses from, you know, trauma and loss to joy and gratitude and, again, love. I mean, lots of love, but also discovery, you know, this whole piece on identity and searching stories related to, I feel like process has been big in different ways, you know, process as far as being a parent who's waiting for a child and going through a a long process where maybe there were some disruptions and having to overcome obstacles to finally be united with the child that you're adopting. Um, But process also for the adoptee who was interested in finding their birth parents and had to kind of go through a process of searching and and finding and discovering themselves in the process. Yeah, we've had some some great stories as far as challenges. Again, depending on the perspective, but I think I think the process, you know, the process is a good kind of a good metaphor to to highlight those things. Well, I'm really impressed with your process. The idea of starting people off with a photo story type of situation where they're expressing something that's unique to them and then bringing in the idea of a focus group and moving it more towards an academic research. That's genius. And as an instructor of narrative, I I teach people how to tell stories. I'm blown away by this. I love the idea. And I especially love the photo voice concept where the way we look at that is sort of here are a number of images from your past, put those up and then provide some context in the form of a story so that when we see these pictures, we understand the significance. We have that connection on an emotional level that we have some context into the environment. And of course, now we fall in love with the character. So as he or she progressed through the story, through the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs, that we experience that as well. And we sympathize and and more importantly, we empathize. And to some degree, because of mirror neurons, we actually experience what they go through and have more of a profound appreciation for their overall experience upon the conclusion of the story. So if you take that those concepts involved with how we as humans interact with narrative, and then you apply that with focus groups and academic research, this is fascinating what you're doing because the way I envision this is really, it's to your words, a spectrum that goes across all the various elements that is the ecosystem of adoption. What is the current state of adoption research? Are you the pioneer? Are there other people out there doing similar work? Oh, I doubt we're the pioneers. I mean, honestly, we have kind of delved into these things and and we've looked we've looked at previous research, but very targeted based on the 
the types of methodologies that we're doing. Like I said, you know, we were really looking at qualitative studies. We were looking at narrative. We were looking at autoethnography, you know, and there are other academics who have put time and energy into writing their stories, their adoption stories, their narratives. Um, I wish I could name names off the top of my head, but you know, if, if you look at our, our article, the autoethnography, the, the lit review there does, does share some of these, these research experiences. One in particular comes to mind where a mother and daughter co-authored a piece and it was a transnational adoption also husband and wife co-authoring about their experiences of adopting a, a child and and also having biological children who who were somewhat envious of of the special status of, of the adopted child as being you know especially chosen and they also wanted to be adopted very cute so there are some great other stories that are framed in a research perspective, but also somewhat personal. And as far as photo voice, you know, this is definitely not our creation. Back in the 90s, Wang and Burris came up with this methodology, and it's been used in so many different different contexts. It's generally used as a vehicle of social change and a way to get people to engage with their communities and take pictures that demonstrate strengths and challenges and things that are going on in the community and then getting people together to talk about them and what they can do about it, how they can overcome some of these challenges and and create social change. So I would say our take on photo voice is slightly modified. We're not really looking at communities, but we're looking at people's personal experiences. But it has been a great way to get people talking and to get people talking about their stories and sharing experiences. And the photos are quite amazing. I mean, as you can imagine, there are lots of photos of families, special moments. You know, this is when we brought our baby home. This is when I first met my adopted sibling. This is when, this is me after I discovered my birth parents. But then there are some others that are very symbolic too. People have submitted book covers, comics, objects or scenes related to emotions or experiences. So it's, it's an interpretation that the participants have been able to interpret their experience and submit a photo. And then, of course, like you said, the focus group really brought everything to life. It's a great combination of the art and the science and taking Thanks. a really deep dive into the world of adoption. It's, it's really timely because I'm also currently teaching a new course called Arts, Health, and Community. It's, a, it's in communication disorders, but it's a, it's a general elective that students from any discipline can take. I have some students in theater, students in marketing, political communication, and some communication disorder students in the class. And some things, we have looked at photo voice in that course. We're looking at arts-based methodologies and arts-based applications for health and healthcare and working with community organizations. So I feel like these things are a little bit parallel. My own exploration of of arts-based research methods and teaching this course on arts, health, and community, it's been a great integration. And I, I feel I'm feeling very inspired. I'm going to be attending a qualitative research conference next month, and I'm really excited about, about learning more. And takeaways. It's This is a funny question because for each of our focus groups, the last question we asked, we said, think about it for a minute. When we say go, write in the chat <laughs> one word or phrase that you think sums up the adoption experience. And um, 
And I love these responses because they're great for making word clouds and other types of visuals. You know, everyone is saying things like life-changing, worth it, unique, deep, not what I expected. I mean, th there's th a whole range, again, of, of different responses to this, what is the one word question. I feel like my big takeaway has been about connection. I feel, you know, very connected to my two colleagues for this, this, this experience that we've shared, Michelle and Christina. Um, and I'm really grateful for our professional relationship and our friendship. I feel more connected to my parents and I feel like I understand my mother much better after doing this autoethnography. I mean, I, of course, I talked with my sister a lot and she and I still talk a lot. It's a big topic of conversation amongst us is what, what happened, right? <laughs> like what were the circumstances surrounding this situation? What was the story? What was really going on? What happened? You know, how did this come about? So we've been talking about this for I don't know, 20 years now, but um, <laughs> I, I feel like in in my autoethnographic process, I, I really wanted to focus more on my mother's experience. So that was a, a good takeaway and connection personally for me. And then the connection just with so many others who, who share this experience, as we mentioned, so many people that we've talked to. So you, other colleagues, students, people who have said, oh, you're doing this thing about adoption? Well, I have this experience. And so that has provided opportunities for more connections. So yeah, that's a big takeaway for me. You've been listening to Campus on the Common. I'm your host, Mark Brody. In this episode, we spoke with Dr. Robin Danzak, a member of the Department of Communication, Sciences and Disorders at Emerson College. Dr. Danzak teaches courses in language and literacy. Her research focuses on bilingual writing, examining connections between language, culture, and identity. The executive producer is Dean Raul Rice. Lucas Poyser is our producer and chief engineer. Oliver Glass is our associate producer. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College's School of Communication. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>